Hi, Nick. Hi, Caleb. Hi. Was there anyone when you were in school, were there any students that became kind of like school famous for good stuff, like cool stuff they did? I'm sure there were. I mean, I've done everything possible to block out the first half of my life from my memory, but if I had to think about it, then yeah, for sure. Uh, Let me think about any specific examples. Do you have any? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've definitely got one. That's why I brought it up. (laughs) When I was in school, there was this kid who everybody loved him, but he kept failing classes, often just barely. Mm -hmm. He would fail. He would get like 67, 68. But what he would do is every time he would fail a class, he worked in, he was in the broadcasting Mm -hmm. uh, department. He would film this like very melodramatic, very intense story about the delivery of his grade to him. And he would get the teacher that had given him a bad grade involved in making these like little films (laughs) about how he had been he had gotten this horrible grade and they were each one was more melodramatic than last i think he did three of them uh-huh. total and it became he became very popular for it and it was always for these like failing grades which i thought was really cool because he was turning this like not great situation into something yeah. that was like super super fruitful and super interesting do you have anything like that was there anything in your for some reason all i'm thinking about is my friend bob in the uh seventh grade mm-hmm. yeah bob in the seventh grade just he ate a lot of paper <laughs> but he t- but he did it as a joke he would, and he specifically did it to make me laugh because he would make eye contact with me from across the i know this is not really exactly what you're talking about but that's all i can think about right now is i would look across the room while my teacher was talking about great expectations or whatever mm-hmm. and then and I he would, would be eating great expectations he would look me in the eye and once i made eye contact he would raise a scrap of paper to his mouth and begin to chew it no <laughs> And Bob was a look great guy, a wonderful artist. I, I don't think anybody else even knew about it but me. I think it was just something he did to like torment me specifically to make mm. me laugh, but not be able to laugh out loud. <laughs> so I don't think that's what you're asking, but that's the only thing that's. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, I was like thinking you'd say like, well, my friend was in robotics club. He made this really cool robot. My other friend was a star. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I had those friends too. My friend, uh, my friend Evan in high school um, was something of a like physics uh, mechanics whiz. Mm-hmm. He like when we had a project to make a trebuchet uh, in a physics class once. Yeah, which now that I think about it is weirdly militaristic. <laughs> but um, we had to make a trebuchet as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, we all live in in a, in a warlike culture, but um, well, we all use trebuchets regularly for our modern warfare. You have to educate through mm-hmm. from the beginning. Like we did learn about medieval times, so we learned about swords, and then you learn about trebuchets, and then you learn about M16. Modern warfare okay. for trebuchet <laughs> zombies. <laughs> the storytelling this one is rough, but there's a lot of trebuchets in it. Yeah, yeah, there are, <laughs> and that that I find is good. Mm-hmm. Evan became known for he made a trebuchet that could throw like more than twice as far as anybody else's that's the new battle royale mode is that they like fling you in a catapult to a place on the map oh i like that (laughs) i like that you could point you can everybody sort of in this starting area and you get to sort of choose the angle of the throw you like play a golf mini game at first yes yes I, i can't really remember anybody else i knew as a child i'm really impressed because you remember the names of these people you've got bob you've got evan yeah i don't remember this kid's name i just remember what we called him the the kid that got like three like failing grades and we all really loved him for yes it. uh-huh mostly we called him king ddd
<laughs> He's just failing grades, but just like just barely. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh... <laughs> You're welcome, Nicholas, and thank you for joining me here on episode two of our our journey into Kirby right back at you on your two show. Your two show! My name's Nick Splender. And I'm Caleb St. Hewitt, and this, your two show, is a show about kids' media, where we dig deep into a specific topic for a month, more than a month, however long we want. Whenever and we feel like it. <laughs> and we study it to see what's good about it, what's a little bit rougher about it, and how it fits into the broader media landscape of the time. Does that sound yeah. good? Yeah, it sounds about right, but I have noticed that lately you and I have talked about this show. We keep saying we're studying things. Yes, I love to study. And I love it, and I love to study, and we are doing that, but we continue to omit that we goof <laughs> repeat. <laughs> That most of what we're doing is dismantling and corroding the infrastructure of the thing that we're touching with our eyes. Well, speaking of school, I think what I'm accidentally <laughs> revealing is that my concept of studying is very flawed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this to me is extremely genuine studying. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we're both fully engaged, but it also <laughs> includes, like... I bought a bunch of note cards, but it's so that I can oh. make a mural on the wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're sitting taking furious notes on note cards. Like each index card, and you're sort of setting it aside and going, wow, he's taking really good notes. And then eventually you get up, you begin tacking them into the wall, and each one is a subset of a drawing of King DDD, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. golfing Kirby across the courtyard. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to gently apologize for uh, my voice is a little harsh, a little mm -hmm. hoarse today. It's mm -hmm. a little harsh horse. It's a pony. I sang a lot yesterday. My laugh is real silly because I have a little bit of laryngitis <laughs> laugh. I know I normally laugh really high-pitched, but if I do this really weird high-pitched laugh, it's because that's the only sound that can come out of my throat mm -hmm. shape right now. Well, I'm sorry that your voice is so hurt. I'm sorry that you're harmed, but you sound beautiful to me. That's okay. That's good. <laughs> Tell me about the show, please. All right. Today we watched episode two of Kirby Right Back At Ya, and this episode was called a blockbuster battle, which, let me say, oh. is a pun of incredible proportions. An incredible pun. Mm, a pun of bricks. And I want to start this by saying real quick that with our last episode, with Kirby episode one. Yes. I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. I was nervous. Because oh. I was like, I was like, who knows whether this show is going to like be uh, consistently funny. They had to set up a lot of stuff in the last episode. Sure. So there were parts of it that were a little bit uh, weaker. This episode immediately sold me on this series, and yep. this, especially this localizing team. The lines are great. There's a lot of stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. You were able to take a lot of notes because every 30, 45 seconds, we were both going, oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah, and this, like... I this episode had so many different layers that we'll get into. It has this like this like very genuine, very modern feeling social commentary layer that's like yep. very obviously teaching kids at least the patterns for some stuff that they should be looking out for in their lives, uh -huh. which I want to get to later. Yep. There's a good monster with a good like lesson on how to defeat it. Yes. And also there's like some great comedy and building of the characters and world yep. of this universe. It's pretty solid. Plus there's references to actual Kirby games. Very like yes. funny ones that just sort of push their way in. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. So this is a good episode. I'm excited to get into it. And I guess we should start with the recap. Recap me. Kirby, 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 that's the name you should know. Kirby, 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 he's the star of the show. He's more than you think, he's got maximum pain. Kirby, Kirby, Kirby's the one. 
So we start off with DDD watching Kirby from a balcony playing with a bunch of kids, and he sees Kirby with a top, like doing this goofy face and like spinning a top. Yeah. And immediately he storms back inside, as Cargoon says something to him, and he contacts the nightmare industries or whatever they're called and the nightmare guy says i've got all these new monsters for you now that we know that kirby is there we're giving you like access to special monsters yeah they like know about kirby Mm -hmm. or they very immediately imply they understand what kirby is and they're gonna give them custom tailored monsters yeah and that complicates it for me like we know at the end of the last episode that they have like a different they have an interesting agenda separate from ddd yeah this the shadowy figure cackling in the background (laughs) i almost wonder if they're studying kirby more than they are trying to defeat him ah interesting okay yes that could be then we cut away and we see kirby playing with all those kids yep they're doing a chant about ddd they've got like a kid's nursery rhyme while they play jump rope about how terrible ddd is one, one, one is three. We don't like King DDD, etc. Is that low, low, low and la, la, la? Or is that the little, the little... F- yes, the fairies are fo, lo, lo and fa, la, la. There's an F, yeah. Excuse me. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And then the kids are tiff and tough. Okay, right. But they realize that Kirby needs a house. That conversation comes up when it starts to rain. Yeah. And Kirby needs a place to go. And all of the kids are like, well, we live in a house, so we can go stand under this house. But Kirby doesn't have a place to live. Yeah. And the people don't want him to be around, partly because there's the the adult who's like, oh, Kirby live with me? And then they do a flashback to Kirby eating everything off the table mm-hmm. in the first episode. And then also the fact that, like, DDD has made it clear he doesn't like Kirby and he can't live within the castle walls. Yes, and apparently, I didn't realize this, but Tiff, Tuff, and their family all live in King Dedede's castle. Right, that was made clearer this episode than before. Mm -hmm. They try taking Kirby to a series of different, basically, businesses in town, because apparently the first thing they try to do to get him a house is to find him a job. Yeah. (laughs) Like, well, if he works somewhere, he could also sleep there, probably. So they took him to a restaurant where Chef Kawasaki puts Kirby to work as a waiter, and Kirby puts on a cute little headband, and it seems to be going really well. Kirby seems like he's having a lot of fun until DDD and Escargoon show up and they start basically doing a series of pranks to make it seem like Kirby's bad at his job. Yeah, like making him drop plates, tripping him with a candy cane, uh, scooting the table away when he's about to put something down. Also, DDD ordered snails when they sat down. That is maybe the most important thing that happened in this episode for me. That was deeply weird. Tell me why. Why do you feel that way? I don't even know if I... I mean, obviously... (laughs) That's a screwed up thing to do. Yes. To yeah. have your buddy, your your lackey, your your attendant, your attache, escargoon, your trusty sidekick, who's a big snail. Mm-hmm. And then to sit down and say, I'll have two of these entrees and then I'm going to start with the snails. I mean, that's either an extremely aggressive power play, a sort of like, you know I could eat you if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Which is dark. <laughs> Very scary. That's some scary stuff. Or, I don't know? We've dealt with this before, right? Are there these anthropomorphized, larger versions of the animals? So that Escargoon is like a big snail who can talk. Mm-hmm. And there are also little snails that you don't talk to? Oh, but then later in this episode, we have Takori the bird, who is like a regular-sized bird who talks, like fully a person. Yeah. So the only implication is that DDD is going to eat Escargoon's, like... Relatives? His relatives! <laughs> well, the thing is, Escargoon 
he's forced into this position by virtue of having of working for this monarch of ins- not being able to be actually hurt by it even though he might be he kind of like laughs looks uncomfortable and is like oh no snails take so long to make like don't order those Th- this is one of several moments in this episode where something pretty serious actually happens or gets discussed yeah and then is kind of not delved into obviously because we're in this like kid environment but mm-hmm. it's this show and this episode especially have thrown a few punches yes <laughs> that have made me go oh uh, uh, oh kids are watching yeah exactly we'll get to that in a second because i want to talk about the arc that you're mentioning as like one whole thing yes please so but after this the next thing that we see is kirby goes to try to live at a house with a guy who we don't know exactly what his job is but he seems like a historian an antique collector yes maybe he's an archaeologist that kind of thing he's got a lot of old he's the indiana jones of this television program yeah but i get the feeling this guy would not use a whip (laughs) well i mean you think that when you see indiana jones for the first time because he's just dressed like a professor and he's teaching a class but you don't know when he puts on a different jacket he might whip somebody. That's a really good point. And we know we've never seen Indiana Jones cry over a broken piece of pottery, but he probably would. Bet he would. Mm-hmm. I bet he would. He's very sensitive about this. <laughs> so the anti-collector, when we get there, Takori, the bird who has been brought into the fight against Kirby by DDD and S. Cargoon, yes, sneaks in, puts a pot over Kirby's head, and Kirby, who is not actively destructive, but is still dumb yeah like still is like still is like this kind of innocent kid who doesn't know when to just like stop yes exactly kirby is like wanders around with this pot on his head falls over the pot shatters and the antique collector says that he needs to go lay down yeah and then just faints (laughs) he just flops over and we see his like weird foot go up oh really (laughs) it's burnt into my brain now that whatever these people are, what are they called? What's the town called? Cappy Town? Are they Cappies? Yeah, they're Cappies. So mm-hmm. the Cappies just have like one foot on the bottom. They're just like a cylinder mm-hmm. with a round top, a different kind of hairstyle, eyes and a face. But then they have one foot that's just like a little, like a like a tree stump or or a pot, you know. So anyway, so when he falls over and his and he his like foot kicks up, that's a weird drawing. Go back and watch it and pay attention, you know. Does his, do his feet look like little pots? Or do they look like tree stumps? Or what do they look like? I don't even remember. So it's just a little, it's just a smooth, flat surface. Oh, weird. It's just the bottom, it's just the base of a cylinder that kind of bends. Whoa, that's very strange. I don't know if I concentrated on anybody else's feet in the whole episode, <laughs> but I definitely saw that one weird foot come up. I'm glad to know that you're not hunting for feet. Yeah, I'm not hunting for it, but I, you know, if I see a weird one, I'm going to note it. the last place they take kirby is a gas station and takori puts a big green sticker on top of a red button i believe and so that a button Mm. that previously (laughs) a button that did look dangerous suddenly now looks very approachable because it's green yes and kirby despite being an alien follows the same mental paths of what's a good and bad color as we do (laughs) yeah and so Right as the rest of these people are having a conversation about how Kirby would be great as long as he doesn't push the wrong buttons, Kirby turns, pushes the green button, and the entire gas station explodes. Yeah. <laughs> like, cataclysmic explosion. Like, we are, the camera suddenly cuts to miles away, and there's a mm-hmm. burst of laser light that comes out, then the massive explosion, <laughs> and then suddenly everyone who was standing there lands in a smoldering hulk, uh, like in a pile. 
uh, it's suddenly we're watching like a classic hand-drawn like anime like it's like this beautiful frame by frame expansion of this like dome of exploding light so i guess they shouldn't have put that button there in the first place that's not an interesting thing to say but i said it i am <laughs> i am wondering about this <laughs> imagine if like Every single place where every single one of the gas station, what do you call those? Like the little, this conversation's just not going so hot. Cause like, <laughs> we don't understand. We don't know one thing about gas stations <laughs> or I'm not a self-serve guy, you know, <laughs> each, each gas station cubicle as you're like, <laughs> as you're pouring uh-huh. gas had a big red button on it. That was like, just don't touch this one. Just please don't touch this one. Yep. Please don't. <laughs> well, great. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we did a great job with that. I had a hard time talking about the gas station. Really good joke. It's called a pump. It's called a pump. Each pump. Yeah, you're yeah, right. It, it's a pump <laughs> that you pump from, not a cubicle <laughs> that you pour from. <laughs> I will say Kirby looked adorable holding the pump for a little he bit. He really did. He He's adorable as, like, in any job. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very cute to see him being functional. And they're playing off of the actual Kirby thing of yeah. Kirby putting on a bunch of different hats, right? Like, yep. they're having him wear the outfits in these different jobs and participate in all these different ones. So we get to see more of Kirby doing Kirby stuff, yeah. even outside of his magical power. Yes, exactly. I like that. So they, the kids decide that they need to get the townspeople together to build Kirby a treehouse. Yeah. Because they wanted Kirby to live in Takori the bird's hole but the bird has not been winning kirby inside so they decide to try a different tree yes they build a whole giant tree house in time for ddd to show up and here's where i want to i guess go back and talk about this whole section yes starting with when they first talk to to cory to cory refers to kirby as a pinko oh weird which According to a quick search, yeah. is a pejorative coined in 1925 in the United States to describe a person regarded as being sympathetic to communism. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah. Which actually does combine with the some of some pieces of this episode. Because yeah. I, as I read further, it says it's because pink is a lighter shade of red. So it's supposed to describe a lighter form of communism, which means... It was critiquing oh. socialists. Oh, right. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> so we have a bird who has a southern accent, much like King Dedede, who yes. also has this like southern accent. But it's a, it's a slightly different kind of southern yep, accent. Because yep. nobody's from the same place in this show, which is kind of nice. Referring to <laughs> Kirby, who needs a place to live and is trying to move into his tree as a socialist. Yeah. And saying that this is my tree and you cannot be in here. Woo. Then, But what they say is, the way that they tie that in is they act like the thing that Takori has a problem with is the fact that Kirby's face is pink. That's like a weird piece of this that Takori really feels passionately about because later on, DDD and Escargoon come in and they tell Takori, if Kirby stays here, everyone here's face will turn pink. It said it won't be long until every face in this town is pink. Yeah, and Takori's like, oh, I hate that. Yeah, so there's this weirdly immediately xenophobic bent to the whole thing yeah where yes this is how real like bad people talk (laughs) but it's heavy and i hadn't thought about this yet but the 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 point of this episode the thing that you're rooting for that the heroes are doing is a like socialist idea it's like let's all work together to find a house for this refugee from another planet yeah like kirby (laughs) in this episode is referred to very explicitly as like 
a refugee Mm -hmm. looking for a place to stay. And the authoritarian in charge is like, I hate him because he's different. Mm -hmm. I can't have everyone running around looking like him. So so I'm going to buy weird weapons to destroy him. (laughs) And like, we know from the first episode that DDD's real fear is that Kirby is going to somehow lead to him not being in charge anymore. Yes. There's not a lot of evidence for that exactly, except for that prophecy from the tree that said that Kirby is the one who will pull them out from being under DDD's thumb. Right, right. Okay, sure. But this this comes to a head and becomes like impossible to ignore as being an intentional thing, if not on the original scriptwriter's part, at least on the social uh, not social <laughs> the socializers, no, the localizers. At least on, <laughs> to the localizers, this was all very intentional subtext. We get to a point where they have finished the treehouse for Kirby. Yep. And DDD and Escargoon show up. And DDD says this is like an illegal house. Yes. If you do not stand down, we'll be forced to use force. Uh-huh. And they say, what? Well, like, what are you talking about? What are you doing here? They don't do anything. They just kind of, like, ask what's going on. Right. Escargoon says, oh, good. They're resisting. Yeah. And then DDD turns on his gun, blows them all up. Yeah. And destroys the house. Oh, the last thing I wanted to say is that the, okay. the phrase that he uses after he has defeated, after he's destroyed the house, Kirby lands and rolls toward them. Yeah. And DDD says, look, it's the ringleader. Yeah. Oh, and they referred to... <laughs> The one of the cappies referred to this is an, an like a kind of muddling of the uh-huh. metaphor, but one of the cappies refers to Escargoon and DDD as rioters. They come up like as soon as they show up, one of the cappies goes, "Rioters? Huh? Weird. I, yeah, I don't. Okay, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, exactly. It was a very strange. Like that that one particular line seemed like they were trying to fit something in. It, it at least contributed to like this is what they were pulling from this like yeah. series of words is what they were pulling from for this situation yeah yeah the rest of this very is like very much depicting the uh, ddd and escargoon as people in power who abuse their power mm-hmm. and abuse the like rules of the system for their like in their favor yeah explicitly like, in ways that cops do yeah they they are cops mm-hmm. and they are abusing their power and they are they're using force to I don't know. I'm I'm trying to find like a more complicated way to say it, but yeah, they're using force to take what they want and they are pretending like, even though it's very obvious to a kid in this moment, in this situation that it's like a a complete farce. Yeah. They are pretending like it is part of a like natural, not natural, but a legal system. You can't be here because this is an illegal gathering, Mm -hmm. but, but what we want is for the person who looks different to not be here. It's like real world stuff. We've been talking about like, Here's the sonic mm-hmm. uh, uh, approach to to addressing fascists. Mm-hmm. And now here we are like, let's watch another cartoon about a video game character and see if it's any good. And it's immediately about conflict <laughs> with authoritarian fascists again. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and like, again, in these very, very explicit terms. Like, this is yeah. not a sort of vague, like, oh, they're just throwing a bunch of stuff on to make it look like, oh, here are the good guys and here are the bad guys. They're using really specific language and very specific situations from real-world problems that I'm kind of glad the pathways are being drawn, at least in this vague way, for kids. Yeah, absolutely. It, it becomes interesting to me for these things that, that were produced when I was young and didn't have a concept or education on a lot of these topics, mm-hmm. uh, on how to interface with these things in the real world, to know that in the 90s when Sonic Underground was being made and in the early 2000s when this was being localized, the like artists 
in charge of telling these stories were concerned about and trying to address like the fascist tendencies of conservative leaderships. Yeah, and 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 there are some choices and I I again, I don't want to talk too much about the voices, but we have to yeah. look at them as like really intentional decisions. Yeah. And they are presenting the like aristocratic south as like the evil in the Kirby world. Yep. <laughs> or at yep. least or at least the evil that's being manipulated by the greater evil, which is represented by a business. <laughs> Literally like the military industrial complex. Yeah, because they create big weapons and sell them to the people that they are convincing will eventually win if they keep buying their weapons. Yep. Wow. The monster of this episode is that DDD has gotten a very super dense block that can grow up into this big, like, sumo-dressed block with arms and legs. It's a sumo-thwomp. A sumo-thwomp, exactly. With arms and legs whose mouth is in its underpants. That's, yeah, yeah, that's true. Just as a note, Mm -hmm. like, that's where the mouth is. It's in the cloth somewhere. If there is a mouth. If there is one, and it does make noise, so we have to assume. We have to assume that there's a mouth under there, and that's fine. (laughs) But in a, uh... (laughs) In an unusual turn for this show, the name of the monster is Blocky. So yeah, well, <laughs> they, they, they can't they can't nail them all, I guess. I mean, you, you, what it, it doesn't need to be more complex. Sometimes you got to go. We've already had enough ideas. Mm-hmm. Let's just say what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so Blocky fights Kirby, and he's a big giant stone. Yeah, he starts trying to squish Kirby. When he does squish Kirby, he flattens him out, but the kids are able to pick Kirby up and like wiggle him like those parachute things you did in gym yeah, class. Yeah, yeah. Until Kirby fluffs back up. Right. Kirby tries to eat Blocky, but Blocky's too dense for Kirby to really suck up the yes. air from Kirby's lungs. Uh, lungs? Other universe? <laughs> the vacuum. The vacuum that Kirby creates when he opens a portal into the universe inside of his body is not quite strong enough to suck up the stone. Yeah, though he and his lips try vigorously to do so. His, <laughs> the animation on his lips! I cannot get behind the specific way they are rendering the lips, and I think I know what the problem is. Mm-hmm. The problem for me is that the lips extrude. They do, they go they out. They extrude into a kiss shape. Mm-hmm. Sort of, a sharp. but around the big mouth. Ma- yeah, they're sharp, and they stick out, and they have no thickness. <laughs> they have no thickness. Kirby's body is presented as being like a thin balloon around a void. Mm-hmm. And when his lips go out, they're just a little thin, like, ugh, a razor's edge <laughs> of flexible skin. Cut yourself on those lips. Mm, and it's, cuss- it's, it's kissing out, and it's going to cut you. And I really don't like it. And the better way to draw Kirby is just to have his mouth, like, open Mm -hmm. but to never extrude a lip that's just my one art note here (laughs) never once push a lip out please every single time they show it it's like ooh, not quite right (laughs) it does not feel good to see (laughs) Ooh, wish wouldn't (laughs) and they like wiggle it's like they're uh, sometimes they sort of flap a little in the wind somebody's spending time adjusting the mesh (laughs) of this 3d object to make that shape occur Uh -uh. Mm -mm. wish you wouldn't but anyway so he can't he cannot suck up the giant form of Blocky. No. Blocky in the process ends up destroying Takori's tree, and Takori turns to DDD and Escargoon, and it's like, wait, I was on your side. Why would you destroy my tree? I was on your side and you totaled my tree. And they just shoot at him. Yep. And this is important because this is the moment in which Takori is radicalized. Yeah, no, for real. Takori realizes <laughs> that joining up with the fascists in order to get rid of Kirby did not guarantee his safety. It it doesn't protect you. You cannot count 
on a strong man mm -hmm. to actually do anything they say. Like, you will always be portrayed as soon as their priorities change. It's a very similar trajectory to what the tiger from Sonic Underground a few episodes ago went through. Yep, Stripes. Ma yeah, Stripes. <laughs> I can only ever think of him as the tiger. Stripes. I know. I know. It's because it's such a bad name. <laughs> well, and I can only ever think of Stripes. <laughs> <laughs> Stripes and Takori both go through this process of making a deal to get rid of the heroes in order to protect their home. Yes. And realize pretty quickly that their trees are the trees in their home are going to get shut down. It's identical. It's the same story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to go back one step to just remember, now that we're talking about Blocky and we're talking about DDD, mm -hmm. we have to remember that the moment before DDD orders Blocky from Enemy, mm -hmm. he says... If I can't do it the sneaky way, I'll have to do it the freaky way. <laughs> wow! Thank you, DDD. King DDD <laughs> says things in this episode that we cannot say out loud in our podcast. There's actually one of his lines that we're not going to say that made us both go, what? <laughs> Let's just say that this show is not afraid of the entendres you can make with Kirby's abilities. It is not scared of them. Yeah, it's they're really kind of leaning in. <laughs> to we've got to talk about what Kirby does a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meta Knight appears. He's been watching from the shadows for this whole episode, just like hiding behind his cape in broad daylight, but nobody's noticed him. He appears to Tiff and Tuff, who are frustrated because Kirby is not able to defeat Blocky, and Blocky's kind of going rampant while Kirby is just sort of accepting being squished. Uh-huh. And Meta Knight tells them Kirby will not be able to suck him up because he's hyper-dense, but... You need to take this bad guy's power and use it against him. Mm -hmm. And then disappears. And Diff and Tuff both gasp like their minds have been blown open. <gasps> and it felt exactly like the tuxedo mask moment and the meme of the like, I'm done here. But you didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Meta Knight is the tuxedo mask of this show so far. He's exactly the tuxedo mask. He's got the cape. Ah! They, they play like a beautiful guitar riff every time he arrives. E, 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 this is great. Yes, I love it. <laughs> and he's wearing a mask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I never made that connection before, but that's my new favorite headcanon. So, he, yeah, he's like, turn his strength into your advantage. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yes. <laughs> but we have to remember that these are our heroes here, our children. Mm-hmm. They are sort of audience surrogates in this way, right? Like, yes. they can be taught the things, sometimes very explicitly, mm -hmm. that the show wants to teach its kids, like, to teach the audience. Yes. And so, they realize that they can lure the rock, the blocky, to the edge of a cliff. Yeah. And if Kirby uses his power from the bottom of the cliff and starts trying to suck up Blocky, uh -huh. Blocky will at least be pulled enough to fall down the cliff into Kirby's mouth. Right, Exactly. I didn't ever think that he was actually going to get that big boy all the way inside there. And he didn't. Well, he didn't, right. But that's the thing. So, and, and that's a part of this that I'm not totally clear on. But is it supposed to be that, like, because Blocky is, like, falling, he, like, cracks apart? It kind of just splits. Yeah, when he's about to fall into Kirby's mouth, he breaks up into pieces and Kirby takes one piece of it. Yes. And I'm almost wondering if it was an activated ability to use a Magic the Gathering parlance for some reason. <laughs> I almost wonder if it was yeah. an activated... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blocky, you tapped two green mana 
in order to separate into four smaller tokens. Four two-two <laughs> monsters instead of one eight-eight monster. Yeah. Which actually, that's a pretty good card. I'm sorry. Yeah, that would be um, an incredible card. Yeah, it would be expensive. Good. But yep. Kirby. And- so. <laughs> Kirby sucks up the one piece and becomes Rock Kirby, who starts out in an outfit that looks kind of like a samurai outfit, I guess. Yeah. But allows him to turn into a huge golem made of pink stone that kind of approximates Kirby's shape. And you might have expected when Kirby sucked up one piece that he would become pirate Kirby, not samurai Kirby. But that's mm-hmm. that's just how it went. He's going to be king of the pirates. I mean, he is made of rubber. How how did that happen? I don't know enough about One Piece to continue making this joke. He becomes the rock power version mm-hmm. of Kirby. And so I guess each episode we're going to be able to anticipate maybe he takes on a new power. Mm-hmm. Like there's a vast wealth of these abilities for Kirby to try on. And that would be a fun thing to work on if you were like scripting this show, right? Yes. Workshopping. Okay, how do we get in an interesting way to using this power? And this was an unexpected way. Despite the fact that he was fighting, like, a big rock, it didn't cross my dumb brain that he might turn into Rock Kirby at any point. Oh, really? (laughs) I just didn't project forward. Mm -hmm. I was just there in the moment, and when he did it, I was like, of course! (laughs) So I want to go over what happens literally here, and then we'll be done with the recap, and then I want to talk about kind of the theme and how it happens this way. Okay, cool. Blocky and Kirby both kind of make their way to another cliff, a cliff over the ocean nearby, because Kirby now, as a big rock, is, like, completely impervious to Blocky's attacks. Yeah. And Blocky just keeps kind of, like, going after him, but not successfully doing anything. Yep. And Kirby is basically just, like, walking to the cliff while Blocky is, like, banging on him and they're traveling together. Yeah, yep. And then they both fall off the cliff and into the water. But Kirby transforms back into the smaller rock Kirby form and then spits out the last piece and turns back into regular Kirby so that he can float back up to the top. Yes. Whereas Blocky is unable to do that, continues to sink to the bottom, and then King Dedede cries about his monster being defeated. Yes. And Escargoon makes a pun about it. Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Which I honestly, I was sort of happy with that moment because Escargoon is completely insensitive to DDD's crying. Yes. And just uses it as a chance to make a joke, which felt like a nice... Like, I was happy that Escargoon got a moment like that. Yeah. After being treated so horribly at the beginning of this episode. Yes. It complicates his character. It makes him... It makes it clear that he's just working for DDD Mm -hmm. out of a sense of, like, self-protection or because it's, you know, whatever. Yeah. But he doesn't want DDD to succeed. He doesn't care. And it also does establish Escargoon as kind of a jerk, too. That's true, too. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing, that the two of them, they're not exactly friends, and you don't really have to feel bad for either of them for each of them being kind of crummy to each other because they are both kind of bad. Agreed. Yep. People. And so the kids make Kirby a new house now that the monster is defeated. Yep. It's a beautiful little dome. They say, like, it's tiny, but so are you. Yeah. Kirby walks inside. It's so cute. They've built this, like, very beautiful thing very quickly. Yeah, I love it. But Takori the bird is asleep in his bed. <laughs> and Takori declares that this is his house now. He likes it a lot. His his tree got destroyed, so he needs a home now, and he might as well sleep in this one. <sighs> and he says, Kirby's resilient. He'll figure it out. And... Kirby goes to sleep in the tree in a hole, like a bird's nest hole, and Kirby seems totally content and fine. Yeah. But this is a moment that has interesting implications with the rest of the episode. Yeah. I thought they were going to maybe take it the direction of, like, well, now Takori and him are roommates, now they're going to be friends. Right. Yeah. Even though Takori becomes himself a displaced 
refugee type person. Mm-hmm. He still he he has not relinquished his entitlement mm-hmm. and his sense that I get what I want. The fact that Takori moves into a house that these people built for Kirby mm-hmm. after rejecting him himself is uh it's like it's funny at the end. Yeah. It's supposed to be funny, but it wasn't funny to me. No, it was harsh. I was like, "Oh, I hate Takori. <laughs> we forgot to mention that Takori does cheer on Kirby during this fight, but only after his house has been destroyed by Blocky. Yeah, he cheers, like, against DDD, mm-hmm. but he then immediately goes back to being this, like, selfish, entitled old man. I wonder if Takori's going to be a regular character, or if Kirby is actually going to get use of the house, but this was just a joke for the end of the episode. I hope so. I hope so, too. And one thing that we, we can see, at least for these two episodes, is the second episode immediately refers to stuff that happened in the first one. Mm-hmm. Like, there's very direct continuity so far. Yeah. So we can look forward to some amount of that. It's not like the stakes and the situation are going to get totally rebooted every episode, at least is what it seems like. Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. And it, even though the stakes are at a place where they can kind of stay stable here. Yes. They mentioned the last monster. They've talked about DDD's like frustration with this company already for giving him a monster that didn't work the first time when it was supposed to just like work. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see what the evolution of the like overarching story is, even if each Mm -hmm. episode contains that sort of monster of the week, power of the week mechanic that's involved. Well, okay, he needs a place to stay. So I wonder what the next goal for Kirby will be. My theory on that is probably that Kirby's going to be trying to get back home. Okay, yeah, sure. Figure out a way to fix the ship. and I bet there will be episodes where he gets his bearings, he looks around, he starts to learn some more stuff about how things work around here, mm-hmm. and then observes the ways that DDD is harmful to the people around him who have been helping take care of him, and then maybe he becomes more like explicitly against DDD, yeah. rather than just kind of putting up with stuff that DD's throwing at him right now. Even during the sequences where Kirby's fighting, you get the impression that Kirby barely understands what's going on. Yeah, and so that's a really interesting aspect of this depiction so far. Like, Kirby is a lot more of a blank slate mm-hmm. than Sonic was, for instance, which is part of the bigger picture yeah. of, like, how's this character presented and perceived? But the extent to which he is this, like, sort of almost stunned, dazed confused baby mm-hmm. is really interesting and I wonder whether his like purpose will clarify and we'll see his like eyebrows come down and be like I'm gonna do that or to how much time he's gonna spend just like bumbling around kind of being subject to the whims of monsters thrown at him or people trying to help him with stuff I don't know so that covers the events of the episode and I want to talk a little bit about the themes yes, please. so we're done with the recap well, I guess Kirby got his treehouse after all something i really loved about this episode in comparison to the first one is that it really shines a big light on what this show is going to be about i think in what way it's called kirby right back at you right like that's the name of the show and the idea of kirby's power is that he is reactive he takes something that is thrown at him and then he turns it to his advantage. Ah. And then the theme of this episode was was kind of voiced by Meta Knight, where they are unable to defeat the rock on its own terms. And so Meta Knight says, take this thing's power and use it against it. Oh, sure. And as soon as the kids learn how to do that in a, like, abstract sense, Kirby gets the ability to do it in a literal sense. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. And then wrapping up with... 
Kirby having briefly adopted the form of this thing, like meeting it where it is, uh-huh. fighting it with the same resources and at the same level as it, like t- uh, taking the fight as seriously as the thing is and not being afraid to use the same power that it's using. Uh-huh. And then when they are both in the process of like being destroyed because of this, because then the fight leads both of them into this, like we are now sinking underwater. We are both going to fall. Kirby, by virtue of having only adopted this temporarily is able to like free himself from the like danger of this like way of, of working this way of fighting and release himself from the water while the rock, creature whose only way of working is like this because it's yes. the only thing he knows how to do yes even from the beginning we see the only thing this creature can do is be heavy and slam down he breaks the house of the person that purchased him because that's the only thing he knows how to do yeah he literally just does the same move over and over and over and over mm-hmm. again but yep. because kirby can do that move but is also willing and comfortable adapting to like better ways of living and acting and being kirby is able to free himself from the water and not drown in the same way in the end ah uh. That's so good. What a good analysis. <laughs> Caleb. <laughs> well, it's it's less me and more this show presenting us with something that's actually really, really clearly developed. You're right. But I didn't, I, I had not gotten anywhere near uh, to articulating that that way in my own head. So thanks for that. <laughs> well, thank you. That's so good. And and it it's highlighting like Kirby's flexibility is his strength. Yes. And his versatility, his his adaptiveness. Mm -hmm. The fact that being crushed, and that's expressed in so many different ways. Being crushed by this giant stone, Mm -hmm. he just flattens out, but he doesn't get destroyed. Yes. It wears him down, but he can get fluffed back up. Mm -hmm. And there's the flexibility of like, I'm sure he could do pretty much any job we gave him. Yes, yeah. And he kind of is willing and able to like adapt himself to wherever he is. Even if it's in a little bit of like, I don't know what I'm doing, but yay, (laughs) kind of way, which is how it often feels to be a real person stuffed into a situation you don't, you're not really ready for, but you just got to go for it. Yes. And then for that combat style, that I love what you said about like being willing to engage on the terms required Mm -hmm. and then let go because Mm -hmm. that's not your identity. Yes. That's a really powerful message Mm -hmm. and something that I think I personally have had a little bit of trouble with in my life. Where I go, yeah, but I don't want to do this because then that's going to be me. Yeah. And learning to go, no, this is, for now, this is just my job. And I'm going to have a different job later. (laughs) Or I hate doing these forms, but I'm not going to be doing complicated paperwork for the rest of my life. I just need to sit here, do this for 30 minutes or whatever, (laughs) and then let it go and move on. Like, these are simple examples, but... Right now, functionally in the show, Kirby is less the main character and more the main character's superpower because the main character of the show is Tiff. Yeah, I kind of thought something like that too because she's our main, she's talking the most, she's kind of organizing things, yeah. As it's presented, especially because of the way that Kirby is unable to, for some reason, unable to process how to do anything for himself yet. Yeah. Like he he only knows how to do the power that he has and he, like, it, by virtue of being so in the moment, uh. is not able to plan and not able to, like, make complicated ideas like going to the edge of the cliff and letting the thing come down. Kirby just will suck it up and get hit and that's what he's going to keep doing until Tiff and Tuff have an opportunity to build a plan and then lead Kirby to being able to do something. Yes. And in that way, he's their power, basically. Yeah, that's so good. About halfway through this episode, Tiff was talking again and I went, she's the main character. She's the like person who's in charge. She's the player Mm -hmm. in a certain way. Yeah. And in the way that when we control, like from a game design perspective, 
like you aren't Kirby, you're controlling Kirby. Kirby is your superpower yes. in the realm of this game. It's the tool that you're using to execute, like getting through it. Mm -hmm. This show has found a really interesting way to kind of mirror that and do a similar thing where it's like, yeah, Kirby is, Kirby's not you yeah. necessarily. You're not supposed to be Kirby. You're supposed to help Kirby do what he needs to do. Yes, in the same way that, that in Sonic, we talked about how the way that the everybody who was writing Sonic learned to grapple with him yep, is yep. by having him be a part of a system where someone else was using him as a weapon, right? That like, yes. Sonic was the fast thing that someone else says, please go be fast in this way. This might be a direct result of video game characters like Kirby and Sonic, these early video game characters, yeah. being defined only by mechanic. Yep. That because they didn't have character, when you are pulling into a TV show, you're having to start with only the mechanic yeah and it can be scary probably to make any strong decisions mapping any particular personality onto that mechanic especially when there are humans yes playing it and thinking a lot about it and so the easiest way is to keep that character simple keep them that mechanic mm -hmm. and let other characters fill in the other parts of a real human brain yeah i love that and that's some of the more contentious depictions of sonic are the ones where he has a really strong personality that people don't like yes or that they don't identify with and I like the way you put that about reminding us that we that we did say Sonic was best deployed as a weapon mm -hmm. and that Kirby is someone you are both. You have to take care of Kirby. Yes. But you also have to direct him mm -hmm. in a certain way. Sonic also, he's lazy. His laziness might be an expression of this concept. Mm -hmm. If Sonic wants to do the right thing all the time, there is no show. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and if Kirby has agency, if Kirby can look at the situation and assess it the way that Meta Knight can, or can work on his own behalf the way that Tiff and Tuff are doing, mm -hmm. then there's a lot less show. Yes, yeah. This constraint of Kirby being this strange alien mm -hmm. who may not really be a baby, but at the very least doesn't understand life here. Yeah. Uh, but I think he is also kind of young, mm -hmm. maybe just born. What's a grown-up Star Warrior look like? Yeah, I know. One must wonder. <laughs> the fact that Kirby, like, needs help, needs to be directed, needs to be pushed and, and put into the right circumstance mm -hmm. is part of what makes the show work in the way that it does. A lot of these shows, especially for kids, use different characters as a way to mirror the thinking process that goes on in one kid the thought process mm. that happens in one person and this is okay. this isn't unique to kids shows like when you look at uh the way stock characters are used in adult shows too or in sitcoms often uh, situations or subjects that merit discussion are the thought process is done through different voices representing like singular pieces of a brain like this is the brave sure. one and so he wants to rush in there and this is the one who definitely doesn't want to do that so by having them talk to each other you reach like a thought synthesis yeah right when none of us is simply mcdreamy or mcsteamy like <laughs> we all have these components within us but we express one in a character to sort of simplify and talk about it and put them in conflict with each other yeah exactly <laughs> that's a great way to put it and in this kirby you can look at as the part of you that is what you were saying earlier that is like gullible uh -huh. that is willing to do anything that is comfortable in any situation that uh, but as a result is kind of fragile is easily broken mm. is like put in, is manipulated very easily yep. 
and so it's a it's a piece of you that you have to recognize what's valuable the ability to like adapt and adopt and be pleasant and comfortable in these new situations but you still have to have the tiff side of you being like stop letting these people walk all over you like no we need to do this right and the reason i say tiff is the main character here uh, is actually a little bit less because of how her character has been presented because to be honest her character is presented as like the smart one yeah the one that is the the audience one that is saying what everybody wants her to be saying and as a result has not been given the chance to have a lot of her own personality yes yep tough has and it is through his kind of obvious personal discomfort with his masculinity Interesting. (laughs) which which i which i point out mainly through the way tough has decided what a star warrior is and isn't okay he after only hearing that kirby is a star warrior over the course of this episode every time kirby did anything that was like a job Uh tough was in the background complaining like this is not the kind of thing a star warrior does a star warrior fights like a star warrior trains and gets strong and fights yeah and he this was sprinkled throughout the whole episode and it didn't come to a head in this one so i have a think i have a feeling we're gonna see more of it Uh uh-huh and i also think it's an interesting possibility that he's another audience surrogate, the, ki- yeah. the kind of audience member who is like, can we get to the action? Like, let's do it. Right, right. Why is Kirby carrying dishes? He should be fighting a monster. <laughs> yep. And I think as a result of that, Tuff has a clearer identity to me right now, but I appreciate and am interested in Tiff getting the chance to like come more into her own later on as well. Certainly. And they're presented as a pair, mm-hmm. and I bet they'll trade off these roles to some extent. Yeah, I bet you're right. Um, one of the examples of that, like, saying what the audience is thinking mm-hmm. was when when they were in the chasm, Tiff said something, and then Tuff was like, we don't have time to think about that right now. <laughs> no, it was Meta Knight helped them. Yes. And then Tiff said, why is... No, no, no Tuff said, why is Meta Knight helping us? He works oh. for King DDD. Yes. And then Tiff says, we don't have time to think about that right now. <laughs> right? It's so good. Because, I mean, it's it's hanging a lantern on that in case you mm-hmm. hadn't had that thought, but it is something that we're thinking as we're watching. Like, huh, yeah. <laughs> what, hmm, that, what is this relationship like? There's something we'll investigate more later. Mm-hmm. Um, I love all that. The other th- question that this raises for me very briefly mm-hmm. is, what would have happened to Kirby if he had landed in front of DDD rather than in front of Tiff and Tuff? I think the biggest difference is not where he landed, it's whether or not the tree had given this prophecy. Because as soon as DDD heard about this tree thing, it wouldn't have mattered whether Kirby sure. had landed in front of him or not. Kirby would have been... Well, but if, if Kirby can be manipulated in this way, and not manipulated, but if he can be coached and coaxed mm-hmm. to do things, I'm I'm wondering... This is so... Uh, I don't expect the show to investigate this at all or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's the aspect of if you are... Uh, yeah. What am I thinking? I'm thinking in the context of, like, the part of you that needs more direction. If you get the wrong nudge, mm-hmm. I guess I'm just fanficking right now. Yeah. Because I want to write <laughs> the, like, version where Kirby, instead of landing outside the castle and then getting picked up by Tiff and Tuff and coached into being a good person, he lands in front of DDD and Escargoon. And, like, Escargoon becomes the tiff of this mm-hmm. situation and <laughs> becomes, like, evil Kirby who fights to oppress the people. Um, well, I'm wondering, th- what if that is what happened with Meta Knight? I like, wonder that, too. Like, what if Meta Knight is that? It's the the Star Warrior, if Meta Knight is a Star Warrior, but we can only assume because of yep. how his, like, powers and the fact that he's so interested in Kirby and he mm-hmm. knows about them. Yep. 
did he land here and end up working for DDD and S. Cargoon? Interesting. And so it's only by way of these, like, kids who were willing to, like, band together and stand with this stranger Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that he's okay and that he's taken care of that we avoid the creation of another monster. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And Meta Knight has been someone that everyone is afraid of. Yeah. And that's very clear that he's been an enforcer for DDD and S. Cargoon. Yep. And so it's too much to expect, like, Takori to change altogether. There's a Mm -hmm. certain aspect of that where, okay, you can make peace with someone or get them to move a step along, like, to understanding something new or or being a better member of the community or something. But you can't expect somebody to change overnight, and that's fine. I don't think you should accommodate Takori in the way that they have. Yes. (laughs) But on the other hand, you know, you can only say so much to your racist uncle at any given time. And it's also interesting that we are so mad at Takori because they've hung such a huge lantern on his bad behavior. But there's also that member of this town when asked if she would take Kirby in, just laughed and shut her door and was like, no, he'll eat all my food. And it's like, yeah, that also is an insidious thing that is present in this town. They are all dealing with these like (laughs) monarchical ideas of the stuff that they own and the stuff that they deserve. Yeah. And and this, yeah, property, like Mm -hmm. property and possessions have been very important in this show so far. Yes, yeah. And that is the whole, like, feudal landscape of, like, being within the castle walls as a form of protection in exchange for labor, etc., etc. Like, and DDD's primary fear being, what if I'm not the king anymore? So... I thought Right Back Gatchet was just, like, a cute name of the show because of Kirby's power, but I am beginning to feel that it is going to stay much more thematically powerful, and I think... My prediction, yeah. we won't we won't make it probably all the way to the end of this show. Yeah. My prediction is that the way that the Nightmare Company is taken down is that their own monsters destroy it, ultimately. Okay, yeah. I'm guessing that there's going to be a way that they're like, whatever, however it's set up, however Nightmare ends up facing them, their own actual monsters are going to help the fight by the end. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Well, I love everything that you have said about this, and I appreciate your analysis and uh, insight into the themes and the way the show's going. This is fun. Thank you. This is fun. I like this show. I do, too. I like this show so much, and I'm really excited to do more of it. Yeah, it's both really fun to watch, and they've done a really nice job of, of putting in a lot of the layers that I like to see in stuff like this. It's great. And we didn't exactly hammer this home very heavily this episode, but it was also very funny like right. actually very funny and you should definitely check it out if you're interested in Kirby at all this episode was incredible yeah in addition to the deeper themes and potential foreshadowing and things that are going on like yeah <laughs> it's very silly and not all the jokes work for me mm-hmm. it does you know whatever but this episode was better than the first episode mm-hmm. in terms of the quality of its jokes and not doing quite so many like oh don't say that yeah, kind of yeah, and we were also at the time, I think, very nervous that these accents were like indicative of a of a writer writing team or a localization team that was like just like doing so random humor or whatever. But, yeah, and I don't think it is. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, and it may still be uh, somewhat problematic for people to be doing accents of for, you know from other places. Yeah, but the intent seems to be the expression of diversity Mm -hmm. and the like sort of coalition aspect of like, we all need to work together. Yes. Despite our differences, because it's Mm -hmm. emphasizing the differences that the people see with Kirby uh, at the beginning and that they will eventually recognize his value, presumably 
even though people aren't defined by their value and should be accepted regardless. So, <laughs> which is a theme of this episode, kind of as well. Right. That like yep, yep, Kirby yep. should not be made to work <laughs> to find a place <laughs> to live. Now that's something we can put on a T-shirt. Kirby should not be made to work. That. <laughs> <laughs> is a, an ethos I can get behind. Oh, I actually really love that. Oh, man, Cody is a representative of labor unionization. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. This has been incredible. Yeah. I'm so happy to be talking about this, and I am glad that you came along with us. Yes, and thank you to everyone who has said nice things to us about this new phase and being willing mm-hmm. to come along with us and talk about some different characters. And, uh, we're happy to have you all and happy to be here. So if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you uh, have a friend who likes Kirby, especially, yes. or maybe maybe that friend you tried to get into the Sonic show, but they were like, I don't know about Sonic, bring them along. Yeah. And uh, we've already gotten some really, really great suggestions for some other stuff that we might talk about in the future. You guys have been really, really great about giving us some possibilities in this space. Yes. So continue to do that as you think of interesting things. I have a running list that I'm keeping track of that we will dig into when we're looking into switching to something new. Thank you to everyone who's made a suggestion and thank you to you, Caleb, for keeping track of them because <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you, Nicholas, for, as always, being my favorite conversation partner. Come on, dude. You know it. It's you. Come on. Um, thanks also to Dave Duncan uh, and Goodnight Productions for our theme song, which we are continuing to use, which is the the beautiful rendition of Hydrocity Zone. We need to look into who sing, who does Right Back Gadget, because I'm sure we're going to keep sampling a little bit of it. Like who oh, the artist boy. is who plays that. Yes, I will put the credits for that in the show notes. Great. And we'll uh, learn it and be able to say it out loud. Because that song is good. That is a good theme song. It's so good. And I kind of love, it's a little bit, uh, I guess it's big band music, Mm -hmm. but it's in the vein of the Super Mario Odyssey theme. Mm -hmm. This like big brassy, ba-da-da-ba-ba-da-ba-ba-da-bow. Yes. And I love this stuff. This is my new favorite kind of music. Oh, that was the other thing that we noticed. This just one more oh, no, oh. observation here in the end. Yes, yes, yes. The okay. the Kirby transformation theme in this episode that might oh. be the theme all the time is a like different key yeah. of the same riff from the he's more than you think he's got maximum pink they do that but with the like, like triumphant RPG orchestration uh-huh. <laughs> instead. <laughs> When you you noticed the melody and it was really good. Um, it's so pretty. Yeah. So nice job to the composers and arrangers of the music in the show too. Whoever did the soundtrack, we will find out and we will thank you personally. <laughs> All right, I'm Caleb Zane Hewitt. Oh, I'm Nick Splendor. And, and you're, you're two. two. Show me your curb. Show me your curb. Show me your curb. Show me your curb. Copy your moves. Copy your moves. Copy your moves. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>